Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Bahrain Banter. I'm really excited to be hosting not one, but three very special people on this podcast. With us today is Ms. Shelley Brunswick, who's the Chief Operating Officer of the Space Foundation located in Colorado Springs. Along with her are two very special students from Bahrain, Nasr Al-Quti from Ibn Khaldun National School, and Maryam Al-Awadi from the Sheikha Hassa Girls School, also in Bahrain. Both students have recently completed space camp at the U.S. Space and Rocket Center in Huntsville, Alabama. Hello, Shelly, and uh, thank you very much for joining me today. And if you'll allow me to start with you, I was really intrigued by our conversation uh, back in February when I was in, uh, in Denver last. And we talked about the impact of uh, space technology on our daily lives. Now, other than the obvious reliance on this technology, which includes more accurate weather reports or getting us from point A to point B via navigation systems, both on the ground or in the air or at sea, or for that matter, knowing if there's a cop car several miles ahead trying to clock down our speed, could you share with us some of the unconventional ways in which space technology touches our lives day in and day out, but usually goes unnoticed. Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you so much, Ambassador. It's such a pleasure to join you and talk about how space is so intertwined with our daily lives. One of the things I'll highlight is in 2022, the global space economy was $546 billion. And of that, 78% is commercial which means it's products and services we're using every day. And the most exciting part about all of this is by 2030, that global space economy is going to be $1 trillion. And by 2040, over $3 trillion. And it's going to be part of everything we do. Right now, we're talking on Zoom, and this is brought to us courtesy of telecommunications and space technology. But you can think about the breakfast you're eating. You know, it's morning here in Colorado where I am. That food was grown using GPS, precision agriculture. It was shipped around the world using GPS and navigation to arrive just in time at the grocery store so you could have fresh fruit for breakfast. And so we are using space technology, whether it's in agriculture, public safety, transportation, the internet of things, telecommunications, and more. So Ambassador, it's never been a better time to be part of the global space ecosystem. That is fabulous. I think that it sometimes really goes unnoticed how much we rely on space technology, but this is a great example. If we would elevate the conversation to what governments are doing, on his last visit to the United States, His Royal Highness the Crown Prince and Prime Minister stood alongside the U.S.'s Vice President as the announcement was made that Bahrain had joined the Artemis Accords, which is, for our listeners, a non-binding multilateral agreement between the U.S. government and other governments around the world that are participating in this program. It is an American-led effort to return humans to the moon by 2025, which is right around the corner. 
with the ultimate goal of expanding space exploration to Mars and beyond. Shelley, how will this initiative, which has a total of 27 nation signatories thus far, affect the trajectory of where space Thank you, Ambassador. That is an amazing question. And what I'd like to highlight is many times when people think about the space industry, they think about history. They think about the Apollo era 60 years ago, two countries in a space race. But today, in 2023, 92 countries are all operating in space and many more want to participate in space. And where we look at the Apollo era from 60 years ago, we're looking at primarily STEM professionals, science technology, engineering, mathematics, and government workers. So we definitely still need those government workers, the civil space agencies. But what we're seeing today is not only is government leading initiatives, but again, 78% of the space economy is commercial, which means it's creating jobs and opportunities for all citizens to participate in the space industry from high school graduate to PhD. Now, one of the exciting things about the Artemis era, as you mentioned, the Artemis Accords, is that, yes, the U.S. is leading the initiative to return to the moon and then go on to Mars. But the U.S. is not doing it alone. It's a collaboration and partnership. We need to work together. Space is a challenging area to work, and we need to all work together. And there are now 27 nations that have signed the Artemis Accords that kind of all agree to, this is how we'll work together as we become an interplanetary species, as we look to have settlements on the moon and do research and go on to Mars. These are some of the ways we're going to operate in space. How are we going to assist one another if there are emergencies? How will we work together? How will we communicate? So I think it's a great way of setting some guidelines and how we can all find our way to becoming that spacefaring world that we want to be. Uh, thank you so much, Ellie. Now, uh, speaking of high school students and, and graduates, I want to pull in both Maryam and Nasser into the conversation before they drift into outer space, pun intended. Maryam, thank you for being here. Tell us a little bit about what got you interested in the field of space and how you're finding it so far. First of all, I would like to thank you guys for having us. When I first got the news of my selection from the NSSA, I was really excited to participate and be one of the four students to represent Bahrain and one of the top space camps in the world. And I think at the beginning, I was really nervous, but during our pre-departure preparations, everything went smoothly. And I think we were all just excited to be at the space camp. And I think over there, um, in our participation in all the activities, the space simulations, the rocket launch activities, and uh, many other engineering classes, they really exposed us to the space science industry. And I think it really gave us a bit more direction when it's came to choosing our majors for university, hopefully. Uh, thank you, Miriam. It seems like Space Camp was a blast. The question is, were you always revolved around the idea of exploring opportunities in the space technology sector, or is this something new that you picked up as time went by? I'd say specifically being in a Space Camp is something new because when does it always happen? However, my introduction to space in general started ever since I was a child, just like in generally looking at the moon, wanting to know what's behind the stars. And the more I grew up, the more curious I was to learn about this topic. And I, I, I describe space-related knowledge as a expanding ocean. The more you go deeper, the more mysterious it is. So after the space camp, I'm willing to pursue the section of engineering 
Thanks to Charlie Duke, which is the youngest astronaut to ever land on the moon. He really inspired me talking about his stories. Uh, his wisdom left a remarkable mark on me. Uh, thank you, Nasser. Uh, Shelley, uh, three years ago, the World Economic Forum published a briefing paper that I was going through in preparation for today on the six ways that space technologies benefit life on Earth. And it showed that over 80 countries have placed at least one satellite in orbit, and nearly 50% of all countries have space capabilities, of which a third are lower middle income or below. Have you seen an uptick in space-related activities in the Middle East? And if so, how do you think this drive will have an effect on the overall efforts that are being exerted by like-minded nations from all around the world? Well, thank you for that wonderful question, Ambassador. And again, as you highlight, space is for all of humanity. And more than 92 nations are now participating in the space economy. And we're seeing that number growing. And we're really seeing a lot of interest in the Middle East, as you've highlighted. You and I have had amazing discussions about opportunities for Bahrain and your amazing space programs. We're seeing the Saudi Space Commission. We're also, you know, not exactly in the Middle East, but we just saw India last month be the fourth country to land on the moon. We're seeing the United Arab Emirate with their activities. They want to have a Mars Research Center in less than 100 years. And I just got an invitation from the UAE. They'll be doing their Dubai Air Show shortly in November, and they're going to have a space program in conjunction with it. So you're seeing a lot of initiative and excitement around space. And what a lot of countries and organizations are seeing is what we talked about earlier. They're looking back to that Apollo era, and they're looking at all the technology that spun out of the Apollo era that's benefiting us right here on Earth. You know, we talked about Zoom and telecommunications, but formulated food, WD-40, you know, public safety, transportation, the Internet of Things, agriculture, healthcare, pharmaceuticals, robotics, AI, quantum computing. You know, those are all the technologies we're all talking about, but sometimes people are talking about them separated from space. And what I want to highlight today is those disciplines are interconnected with the space industry. So for all the students that are watching today or young professionals that are excited about space, there is a place for you to be in the space industry. And the majority of those jobs in the space industry are right here on planet Earth. Thank you, Shelley. Mariam and Nas, you heard Shelley talk about the opportunities that the private sector provides for education and for students. How do you think the government sector can assist in getting people motivated? And what would you like to see as you start to think of careers related to space technologies down your path? I was going to say in Bahrain, a notable example, which I'm experiencing at the moment, is the Crown Prince Scholarship. The Crown Prince Scholarship is considered a public and it motivates its students to pursue STEM-related fields, which are science, technology, related to space as well. So in my opinion, uh, initiatives like this inspire students to pursue these goals and hopefully contribute to Bahrain's development in the future. As Your Excellency said, there are a lot of initiatives that could be uh, implemented here in Bahrain. And I think from our experience going to space camp, it really exposed us to the STEM subjects in a more hands-on way, where we were exposed to a variety of different topics, including the roles and responsibilities involved in space missions, like problem-solving skills and hands-on experience with a lot of 
things like rocket building, as well as other classes that really would increase the student's passion, for example, engineering or space-related majors and, and careers in the future. And I think for the future, if Bahrain would implement likewise space camps, that would really boost the amount of students that are passionate about space because they would really experience all these space simulations and would be inspired to further uh, take this on to their future. Well, thank you very much for that. Um, If you'll allow me to ask all my guests this question, this final question, and I'll start with you, Shelley. If you had the choice of landing on any planet in this galaxy, which one would it be and why? Well, what I'd like to say is we have to take away the time constraint because space travel does take a long time. But I think the moons of Saturn or Jupiter would be very interesting. You know, we are sending probes there, the European Space Agency, the U.S. and others to look at those moons and determine if there could be life that evolved there and what would that look like. So I think there's a lot of great space exploration going on and the planets are amazing, but I think there's a lot of exciting moons that we can be exploring too. Thank you, uh, Mariam. If I had the choice to land on on a planet in the solar system, I would choose uh, Europa. I think it's it's a moon of Jupiter that is covered in uh, in thick ice shells. Scientists believe that maybe a liquid called ocean beneath the ice, which would be potential uh, support life, and so Europa is geologically active with evidence of volcanoes and tectonic plates. And so this means that there may be new materials around there. And so I think it would be quite interesting to land there. Nasa, where would you like to go? I'd like to land on Mars. So at the moment, we've managed to land some spacecraft, some robotics uh, related. However, the competitiveness in me wants to be the first person to land on Mars. As I know at the moment, uh, if I'm not mistaken, NASA is planning to have the first uh, Mars landing on 2030. So hopefully I could be part of that in the future, even not even in 202030 in the future. Uh, I love the sound of that. Shelley, Nasser, Maryam, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. This has been a really good conversation on where we are in terms of space technology, where we're headed, and the impacts of space technology on our daily lives. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, Your Excellency. And I look forward to seeing you around the galaxy. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be in this interview. Thank you for having us. Well, in closing, I'd like to thank Shelley Brunswick of the Space Foundation, as well as our students, Nasr Al-Uti and Maryam Al-Awadi, for their participation today. And thank you for joining me on Bahrain Banter. It is always special when I get to speak to such interesting people about a subject that can so deeply affect our daily lives and the people around the world. And for all of you, thank you for tuning in.